if you'll turn with me in your copy of God's Word this evening to John 3. It's on page 1055 of your pew Bibles. The text for our sermon this evening is John 3, verses 1 to 15. Let us give our attention to the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, we come to you this evening, desirous of hearing your voice and being changed. Would you grant us the outpouring of your spirit through your word? Would you feed us and fill us, enlightening our minds and glorifying yourself in our midst? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Brothers and sisters of the Lord Jesus Christ, our sermon this evening is simply called, You Must Be Born Again. I trust that after reading our passage, you understand why. This morning, we had the privilege, second week in a row, actually, of seeing a young covenant child brought into the church through baptism. It's a true privilege, a joy. And we look forward to more. And as we participated in this sacrament commanded by the Lord Jesus Christ, we were reminded that baptism teaches us that we and our children are born and conceived in sin, by nature children of wrath, and we 
can't be members of Christ's kingdom unless we are born again. And in our text tonight, Jesus teaches that this new birth, this regeneration, this being born again is a necessary divine act without which no one, no one may enter the kingdom of God. And similarly, our standards, which we read just a few moments ago as well, teach that this divine act of regeneration is not just a, a cleaning up, not just an offer for whoever wants it to take, but it's a powerful, a marvelous work of the Holy Spirit that's not lesser than the work of creation or even the raising of the dead. And not only that, that this work makes us active in its wake. And so as we consider these things tonight, our theme or our, our idea that we need to have before us is simply that only believers born again or regenerated by the Spirit of God enter the kingdom of God. Only believers who are born again by the Spirit of God enter the kingdom of God. And along that line, then, we're going to see a few things about this idea of regeneration or being born again. Regeneration is a $12 word to mean being born again or given life or made alive. And it actually has two connotations to it. Regeneration can mean, or does mean, does carry with it the idea of creation, being generated, being made. And it also carries the idea of the actual biological development and process that we are all familiar with. So it has both ideas behind it. And here we see that Jesus tells us that it is absolutely necessary. Now, this statement, this conversation sits in a context. Now, in the chapter previous, Jesus has just completed his first miraculous act of changing the water into wine at the wedding in Galilee. He's gone through the temple. And then we get this little snippet right, right at the end of chapter 2 that says, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, there were many there who believed in his name, but it says he did not yet entrust himself to any of them because he knew all people. In verse 25, it says, he needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in a man. He knew what was in man. And it's interesting that the very next sentence, the first verse of our text, starts with, now there was a man. And that man was a Pharisee named Nicodemus. And that man, Nicodemus, was not only a Pharisee, he was a ruler of the Jews. So he was a, a man who was part of God's people. And then further, he's not only a man, a Pharisee, a ruler of Jews, but it says he came at night. Now, remember, we're reading the Gospel of John. And when John talks about darkness and night, he, it's always in contrast with light, day, truth. So Nicodemus comes one who is well-versed in all the traditions of the church. 
And yet he's in darkness. He comes by darkness, by night. This is a man in need of light. A man in need of this regeneration that we will hear about. He says, teacher, you're from God. He says this because he's seen the signs, the miracles. He, does, he thinks he knows something about who Jesus is, and yet it's, it's Jesus who knows what's inside of him. And as the one who knows the man who speaks to him, the people who speak to him, he cuts right to the heart. He says, amen, amen, or truly, truly. I say to you, unless, you are, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You call me one who is from God. No one belongs to God and his kingdom unless they are born again. In other words, no rebirth, then you have no place. Article 10 which we did not read tonight, we read last week. Article 10 tells us that the conversion of man is a, is a work of God alone. And 11 expands on that, which we did read. And it tells us that this regeneration, it not only sees that the, the message of Christ, the gospel is declared, but it also makes it so. He's the one who does the work. And so this, this need that Jesus is putting forth, saying there's no middle ground here. You are either born again and enter the kingdom of God or you are not. What this tells us is that this is all of man's most basic need. It's your need. It's the need of the many who live outside in this neighborhood those who live next door to you. Man can't enter heaven as he is or she is. I'm not going to deal with the pronoun thing. God must recreate or rebirth, give regeneration to those who would enter his kingdom. Living by the flesh, that was born of the flesh is death. But being born in the spirit is life. No regeneration, no anything, really. Without regeneration, in other words, everything is vanity. He tells Nicodemus, this one who is so well-versed in all of his religion, without being born again, all your religion is Worthless. Why? Because you shall not see heaven. You shall not see the kingdom of God. Without regeneration, in fact, your being is vain. Why were you created? We heard some of that this morning in Sunday school. The very purpose for your creation is to glorify God, to enjoy Him forever to know your God and to commune with him. No regeneration, no rebirth. That being is vanity. 
No regeneration, even the offer of the gospel for you is vanity. Not that there's anything wrong with the gospel. We covered that. But to respond, there must be life. Let us then cease the constant effort we seem to give to clean ourselves up, to be good enough today, to try and get all of our ducks in a row, either in, in morality or in theological preciseness, Precision, sorry, better word. Not that any of those things are bad in in and of themselves, but they're worthless unless the first thing is taken care of, and that is that you have sought life in God through Christ alone, or in Christ through God alone. Let us seek a divine answer to this need for a new birth and entrance into this kingdom. Regeneration is necessary. And because it is divinely driven, it's important for us to understand that it can be found nowhere else. And that's where Jesus takes us in the next set of verses here. This second interaction between him and Nicodemus. You see this back and forth. He said, Nicodemus says, okay, well, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? It's almost a hint of sarcasm. But it's a, it's, a, it's a reasoned response. How's that going to work, Jesus? How can a man do this? What you see on display here is the confusion and the corruption of man trying to make reason the standard by which the word of God is judged. He's already confessed that Jesus is one who comes from God. And yet now he said, oh, that doesn't make any sense. How can this be? Our traditions say something different. You know, this is what our natures do. That first question in the garden of, has God really said, still plagues our minds and our hearts today. How can this be? Did God really say that? And that's because by nature we suppress the truth and unrighteousness as we read a few weeks ago. How can this be? How can a man enter in a second time to his mother's womb? And Jesus' response is fairly simple. Truly, truly, I say to you, amen, amen. Unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. No, I'm not talking about a physical birth. You must be born of water and spirit. And then he goes on to to explain that further. He says, that which is born of flesh is flesh. But that which is born of spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Jesus answers this question on all fronts. No, your mind is in the flesh, Nicodemus. You must be born of water and the Spirit. Now, we need to deal with what what, what he means there by water and the Spirit. There are some here who would say that this is pointing directly to baptism. And I I can understand that, that thinking. But I agree with Calvin and some other commentators 
that note that whenever you see the action of the Spirit in Scripture, it's often accompanied with either water or fire, depending on what the action of the Spirit is in that context. And so the water here is actually the same idea as the Spirit. So unless you're born of the Spirit, and that's why in the next verse it says, that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. The idea here is that you must be washed by the Spirit. That's what water does. You must be cleansed. You must have the filth and the, the garbage washed away. And that only comes by the Spirit. You must be born clean. Flesh belongs to the world. Flesh has been banished from God's presence. And the very statement that God, that Jesus says here, that you must be completely born again, born differently than you were from the first time, is another way of saying our whole flesh is condemned. Our whole nature is corrupt. You have to be something different than you are. And so spiritual and heavenly life is, is a divine and supernatural work of the Spirit and the Spirit alone. You can't manufacture your own rebirth. And that's what Article 11, again, points us to. We read a portion of it. We see there that it says that not only does, does the Spirit make sure the gospel is proclaimed and enlightens the mind so that we might rightly understand these things, but by the operation of the same Spirit, He penetrates into the inmost being. lost my place. He penetrates into the inmost being, opens the closed heart and softens the hard heart and circumcises the heart that's uncircumcised. It's a unilateral action. It's not a cooperation. It's just as a baby is not born by its own will. It doesn't decide one day, I think I'll come into the world. Neither does the reborn person, the reborn spirit, decide of its own will to be regenerated, to be converted. It's a divine, supernatural work. And this is, John actually says this in the very beginning part of his gospel. We, it was part of our meditation, the beginning of the service. Do you remember what it said? Verse uh, 9 through 13, I won't read the whole thing, but I'll start with 12. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Note the order. They weren't born because they believed. Those who believed were born of God. And so not only is the external call, go to, does it go out to the world, but the internal call, the internal life comes and gives, gives life to the hearer. And it cracks open the heart. It renews the will, and it even says it infuses new things, new qualities within the will. It may make our minds go back to the prophets, back to Ezekiel. Where in Ezekiel 36, well-known passage, he says, it's not for your sake, Israel, that I'm going to act, but for my name, 
the name I put on you, and I will give you a new heart. I will take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I'll put my spirit within you. That's what's at work here. And moreover, we see in Article 12a, the fact that this is done without our help. This regeneration, this new creation, this raising from the dead, making alive, so clearly proclaimed in scriptures, which God works in us without our help. And the reason that the authors of the canons are, are hitting on this so hard is because this is exactly the error of the Arminians whom they were dealing with. Who preached that God gave grace to everyone and then it was really up to each individual person to use their will, which was not corrupted by sin, to choose whether or not to accept God's grace and then be reborn. The order of those steps makes a difference. The real question is, who is the Savior? Who's the one doing the work? And this is part of what's, what's tied up in the illustration that Jesus uses here in verse 8. He says, the wind blows wherever it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. What's he saying? Look around you. Don't marvel that I'm telling you things you don't fully understand. Look at the wind. You walk outside, you know it's windy. You walk through a town after a tornado, you know something happened. But you don't know where it came from or where it went after this. The wind is, moves in its own free direction. He says, so it is with those who are born of the Spirit. In other words, those who are born of the Spirit are born of the intention and the ordination of God. You ought not marvel to know that you don't know exactly how it works. But you see a difference. You see what is being wrought in the heart and in the life of this person. You see a change. A change that they didn't affect themselves. Because it's a completely different person. God brings the sinner, the dead sinner, to life. And so the move, moving of the Holy Spirit in, this li in the life of man is, is perceptible, though in many ways incomprehensible. And just so the work of the Holy Spirit, is, as our canons tell us, is powerful, it's, it's pleasing, it's, it's a marvel, it's hidden, it's inexpressible. And it's not any less than God's work of creation and his work of resurrection. I want you to think about that for a second. If you're here as a believer, then your heart, that heart you deal with each day that's convicted by sin and yearning after God is a product of Almighty's God hand in your person. 
The same power that was at work when he said, let there be light. And there was light. Because who brought life out of death in you. It's amazing. And so I, we, we disagree with our Arminian friends who, who say that, that being born again is a little bit like drowning in the ocean and then God throws you a, a rope and you choose to grab that rope of faith and, and you're saved. Dead men can't grab a rope. Now, to paraphrase one musical artist, he says, no, it's more like being dead on the bottom of the ocean. And unless Jesus dove in to grab that swollen corpse and breathe life into it, there'd be no, there'd be no life at all. This is why he says you must be reborn. And this is offensive to our pride. Because we like to understand how everything goes. That's why Nicodemus says, how, how can these things be? Man can't re-enter his mother's womb, can he? This isn't how life works, Jesus. You're talking nonsense. No. The gospel is foolishness to those who have a mind of the flesh. So we're to be warned here. We're to be warned of reading Scripture and reading God's face and reading God's grace through our traditions, through our reason, through the lens of man's eyes and mind. And instead, read life and reality through the lens of what God has declared. And so because of that then, we ought not to let our doubts, let ourselves doubt because our, our faculties, our minds can't get themselves around what God has said. And instead, we place faith in the fact that even if we don't understand, God has clearly told us what he's done for us. He's clearly displayed his power in my heart. And that is sufficient for me to know now, even to go next door and tell my neighbor, let me tell you how the God of the universe has changed my life. You must be reborn or you're lost. Regeneration is necessary, but it's a divine work. It's a supernatural work. It cannot be done by man. However, we see at the end of this passage, as well as in our canons, that although regeneration is not a work of man, yet it does result in man working. It's an active thing. Look with me back at our text, verse 9. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Nicodemus is still there. And Jesus says, are you the teacher of Israel? And you don't understand these things? Why was Jesus rebuking him in such a way? It's because as a man of Israel, as a, as a ruler in the synagogue, as a, as a Pharisee, he had access to all of the prophets' teachings. You see, the fact that regeneration is a divine work of God, it was not a new, a new concept. We already heard what Ezekiel had to say. Jeremiah and many of the other prophets had, had, had the same thing to say about this. 
And so Nicodemus is, is showing his cards here. He's showing his unbelief, his hardness of heart. What doesn't fit my reason, I must reject. We'll put our traditions and our, our extra commentaries and, and, and everything on top of it so that we can get our heads around this. Jesus cuts right through that. He says, we speak what we know. Truly, truly. We speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. Who's the hour? Well, it's the prophets. It's Jesus along with all of the prophets. All those who carry God's word to the people. We speak of that which we have seen, that which we have heard, and you won't receive what you've been told. Your heart is hard. Thus he says, you're a teacher and you don't understand? The mind of the flesh will not believe even earthly truth. So it can't, it can't hope to understand anything of heaven. And by contrast, the mind born again of the Spirit believes the things of the Spirit, loves the things of the Spirit. And so this regeneration, this new birth then, moves one who is in this place of unbelief to a place of noticeable change that demonstrates a power of God that is contrasted to those who live according to the flesh. And Jesus uses an interesting set of illustrations and, and shots here. Having already say, you know, confronted him with the fact that the prophets and I have been telling you all along and you're not believing, he then turns to a, a well-known reference from Moses. He begins by saying, no one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. The Son of Man was a term that Jesus used for himself quite frequently. And it pointed back to the prophet Daniel. And the coming Davidic king who would bring in the kingdom of God. And he goes on to say, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that whoever believes in him may have an eternal life. See, Jesus is beginning to turn on its head exactly what the stumbling block for the Jews were. They were looking for this coming Messiah to usher in an earthly kingdom that would deal with all their temporal woes and, and, and set up a, a new monarchy there in Israel. <laughs> What he's saying is God's wisdom and God's plan is only known to the one who came from heaven. I'm not here to lead a rebellion. The Son of Man will be lifted up as the serpent was so that all the world might see him and those who believe in him might be healed their greatest need. This would have completely upended Nicodemus and any other Jews 
expectations of any Messiah. Rather than a tradition of the elders, rather than trying to merit what we are doing before God, rather than a earthly kingdom, Jesus comes and says, you must be born again. You must do away with your own ideas of what was going to happen. And you need to live by faith in the one who is going to be lifted up and die before your very eyes. You can understand why Nicodemus was a bit confused. And again, that's because of the fleshly nature that he carried with him. This is the one you must believe in. The one who will be lifted up to heal all the world of their woes. Is that your greatest hope? You see, if you've been born again by the Spirit of God, then it is that Spirit who governs the hopes and desires of your life. Where do you look for healing, for hope? You see, Article 12 tells us, says as a result, about middle of the, the paragraph there, says, as a result, those whose hearts God works in this marvelous way are certainly and unfailingly and effectively reborn and do actually believe. And then the will now renewed is not only activated and motivated by God, but also activated, is also itself active. Sorry, my tongue got tangled. In other words, it's not only that God is doing all the work, but exactly what Jesus is telling Nicodemus here is is what happens in the reborn. The heart that would not believe. The heart that could not understand. The heart that questioned. The heart that said, did God really say, how can this be? This makes no sense to me, is transformed and turned to say, that is my Savior. I take comfort and hope in Him alone. Because He has the words of truth. He is the one who has come to do the Father's will. He is the one who has come to redeem his people. He is the one who will come into his kingdom. He is the one that will rule for all eternity. Only the regenerate can say these things. Only the regenerate and the have been born of the Holy Spirit and changed so that they might take comfort in this Savior. And this, says Article 13, is incomprehensible. Do you know how you've been changed? Can you explain that? No, it is incomprehensible. And yet, though we don't know how precisely it came to us, yet it says we can still rest. We can still be content with knowing and experiencing that by this grace of God, we do yet believe. And we have a heart that loves our Savior. Is that you? Does your heart long for your Savior? Has the 
New birth of your being resulted in a rest and in a comfort. It reminds me of John 10, where Jesus says, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. They hear my voice. It's the same idea at play. Just like, I was using this illustration the other day, just like when you're lost in a department store as a little kid, and you can't figure out where mom or dad went because you were too busy hiding in the clothes racks. <laughs> and just as that panic sets in, you hear your mom's voice or your dad's voice. God's voice alone settles, calms, and puts at ease the heart that is unsettled by its sin. It is to this Son of Man lifted up for the world that we all must look. And we all have the privilege of looking to. See, the Arminian takes comfort ultimately only in his will. It's my will that chooses whether or not to accept God's grace. In other words, it is his will that is the ultimate power in the universe, both for regeneration, for conversion, in fact, for all my reconciliation before God, is that a comfort? Maybe I'm alone in this. But do you struggle with your own will? That part of you that you know should choose better almost at every turn in the day, and you're constantly dealing with its poor decisions. I know what I should have done, but I did the opposite. Is that the, the power you want governing? Your comfort, your assurance, your standing before God? My will? It's not comfort at all, is it? And that's because our will is governed by our natures. <laughs> And if that nature is not reborn, then all it will do is act on the influence or under the influence of the flesh. The mind of the flesh is set against God. So eternal life is only to be had through faith in Christ, preached in the gospel. And the comfort in that is this. If you hear that voice, that's not of your doing. If you hear his voice coming to you, convicting you, calling you, comforting you, you can be assured that that's not your doing. <laughs> that that's God's gracious work in you. Is that an encouragement to you at all? That God is tangibly at work at me and I hear his voice calling me to put my sins away, to, to die to this flesh, to... Look to him, the one who was raised up and paid for all my sins. The comfort is that it's not that I chose him, but that he chose me, and he will not let me go. So brothers and sisters, born-again believers are recipients of an amazing, particular, 
resurrecting grace of God. It is only that electing, loving, changing grace that makes you fit as a citizen of his kingdom. Baptism declares God's promise to his people that he will indeed do all that he has promised, washing them of their sins as certainly as water washes the body. It declares that he will bring them into fellowship that he has chosen. And likewise, the Lord's Supper puts the same Savior on display. The one who is lifted up, the one who is crucified for you, is declared here. So that believers, those who have been reborn, who are members of his body, might not only be citizens of the kingdom, but be fed, be nourished, be built up in that spirit. To feast upon him and to long for the full feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb in the kingdom to come. So let us find real rest and peace, reconciliation, knowledge, and love of our Savior as we consider the footprints of His grace in our hearts and in our lives. And let us not neglect the active repentance and belief that characterizes our new life in Him. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you and we, we do marvel, Lord.